Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Star Trek, the motion picture, the director's edition. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. This. It's amazing we continue to get Star Trek movies after this movie. I'm going to say that after that. <laughs> That's not a condemnation of it being a bad film. Just the ongoing debate from not just Star Trek fans, but sci-fi fans in general, that it Star Trek films are too slow. And this is that in the most extreme version. I grew up on Star Trek. I know you did as well. We've talked a lot of Star Trek on the podcast, but we started with Star Trek Discovery and all the new Trek that's come since then, whether it be Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, Strange New Worlds. We have talked some of the original series films. Episode 200, we did the Genesis trilogy, which is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. We skipped this film completely and for me i thought maybe after the genesis trilogy we'll just keep going forward but then i did have the idea because of the director's edition maybe that will be an interesting in for us and a reason to go back and watch this film again because yes this is a slow film it's a film that i've always found boring always found boring but i was interested enough with this new 4k version it had a release a few years ago but paramount plus made a big deal of adding it to the streaming service this was last year finally got around to watching it and that boring film that i'd watched all those years ago, it looks better, sounds better. The film's still the film, but yeah, it sounds yeah. and looks a lot better. Yeah. One thing about it, this is, you like myself, I think you watched on Paramount+. Plus. Well, I started it, and it started showing, you know, you had the uh, Jerry Goldsmith theme playing with stars as it like kind of comes backwards through stars. I'm like, okay, I... Where are the credits? Why aren't the credits rolling? I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting for two minutes and 47 seconds. <laughs> then the Paramount logo comes on and the movie yeah. actually starts. I'm like, wait a minute. What's with this two, uh, two minutes and 47 seconds of a Starfield running? That was just something that Paramount Plus added. I'm like, the f- what, what is this? I, I have to mention it right off the bat because I'm like, I know this movie's slow. And you just added two and a half minutes, two minutes and 47 seconds of nothing right before the movie actually starts, starts like, you know, like before the Paramount logo, I'm like, what is happening here? But so, what they're, <laughs> they're giving us more of the best thing about the motion picture, Jerry Goldsmith's score. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the, or the, the shooting model for the Enterprise is also gorgeous. All those, you know, it's become a it's become a uh, 
a meme at this point of the uh, the glory shots of the new refit, whatever ship it is for Star Trek. You know, we both we've covered lower decks, and they did this multiple times of like every time I see it, it takes my breath away, and they've got all like the. <laughs> the shiny new version of the same ship it, but it's the same ship it's just sparklier as they slowly drive to it in like a a, a shuttlecraft and then I mean, you know the the, the ds9 yeah. episode of like <laughs> just just make out like you're being wowed by the majesty of the pylons keep circling but that's all taken it, from this, it this is. set that whole thing up i know but i do but understand it does look brilliant it's that's an ilm it. model yep it's Bigger than any model they'd used before, more detailed than any model they'd used before, with cutting edge technology, with the motion control rigs and everything else, beautifully lit. Like this was an expensive model. It would be an expensive model if you built it today. And it was even more expensive back then, ironically, when they were using models more often. And that's it. So that's what I'm saying. I get it. I get why they want to show it off. You do get yeah. I know you, this. I've always thought this, but this is a movie filmed in the seventies. But the the effects of like when they go to first activate the new warp engines and they open a wormhole and it's like the and it's like it's like a it's like a seventies film clip. It's the best way to put it. With like the the slow mo and the like the phasing of like multiple versions of themselves, which is just done with lighting and mirrors and stuff, and then. When they get to Vija and they're going through the cloud banks and everything else, it's all a certain kind of typical sci-fi stuff from the seventies of like swirly light and like mist and fog and stuff like that. I'm like, and as soon as I see it, my brain goes seventies, seventies sci-fi right there. I can't help it. It's every single time. Like they did it in, uh, 2001 a space odyssey they did in this they did in planet of the apes it's just what it's it was the effects they had at the time and they hadn't yet figured out, out, out another way to do it star wars had already come out and had figured out something different but to star trek they couldn't use the same thing and so we ended up with the the same swirly stuff although they did have intelligent ways of coming up with it like different colored dyes weighted in uh in like aquariums fish tanks and then swirled to get certain effects but it still just looks like as i said i'm gonna repeat myself because 70s like swamp rock film clip yeah <laughs> it's the same you know, sort of video editing it's interesting you brought up some other franchises there or some other films we got in the 60s the original series. It ran for three seasons. And Had then. No budget. Yeah. <laughs> and we got that animated series, which was kind of a fourth season, but they, they were trying to make Star Trek work again on TV in live action. And it was like Star Trek 2. I think they referred to it as for the longest time. Yeah. Working to make more Star Trek on TV. In the meantime, 1977, Star Wars happened. 
and they're like, right, let's put Star Trek on the big screen. Now you do see things starting on TV, jump into the big screen, but back then it had just not happened. And it happened with Star Trek. But you mentioned 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, them deciding to make it into a film and not another Star Trek TV series was because of Star Wars. When they release Star Trek The Motion Picture, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. It feels like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Very much so. It's because... People, uh, people always wonder, like, oh, what I, I, I'm, I'm sure you've had this your whole life. Star Wars, Star Trek, what's the difference? The difference is Star Wars is sci-fi fantasy. You get space wizards. You get a fight between good and evil. The same fight. It's not like they're going somewhere else and then there's another enemy. No, no, it's the same enemy out throughout. Um, and there's spirituality and all that sort of stuff and, like, taking from, like, uh, Jungian archetypes. Star Trek was sci-fi drama of we'll take modern day issues and we'll display them in a futuristic setting. Like these are people from earth. So it's supposed to be like an, a, a, a possible future for us. And, but we'll use that, that, that setting to talk about actual issues. That's why you get really good episodes of the TV series to this day because they're talking about modern issues in a way that may not be allowed to be addressed like head on. And this is a way of getting a way to talk about that and like showing either it's ridiculousness or perhaps a solve that we might eventually get to in an idealized society where this movie falls down. Like you said, it's very, it's not Star Trek. It's very 2001, a space odyssey. And it's, like a poor it's this would be a bad episode of a tv show and tv shows run for 40 minutes it runs it feels like forever it's so slow i'm sure it's only like two hours and 20 minutes or something but it feels like an eternity because it's it rushes it's like this thing happens blah 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 blah. refit of the enterprise it takes over they're on their way out they run into Spock, they get there, and then the things just just stop happening. They actually get out to the 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 threat of Ija fairly quickly and succinctly. It's just at once they get there, it's all supposed to be building atmosphere and tension, and like, what is this? And they're throwing out the gobbledygook of like twelfth power coming from emanating from the cloud. They would take a thousand starships, and you're like. This means nothing to me. That's the scale you're talking about. Like, and I'm not, I can't see anything. I'm not seeing a picture of the Enterprise and then seeing like right next to it a size of just exactly how expansive this thing. They say two AUs. I know that two AUs is two times Earth's space from the sun. How many other people know that? How many other people were listening to the dialogue to care what that meant? I don't I mean, think anybody. Well, I didn't. <laughs> if I'm honest, you yeah. just educated me there. Yeah, but yeah, as I said, it just the the pace just comes to a, a stop, and there's nothing to really properly drive home. It's it's all too abstract, which is why I like we've both said like 2001: A Space Odyssey. This is just how abstract it is. 
and that's not Star Trekky at all. The most Star Trekky thing is when you actually finally get right near the end, you find out Vija's actually a Voyager probe. Like, ah, oh, ah, oh, okay. Now, now it's starting to feel Star Trekky, and it's over. Okay, I, I, I spent two and a half hours here being bored before I got my Star Trek. Um, again, and, you know, there's. Back- there's a reason why we started with Star Trek 2. We've yeah. had Genesis Trilogy <laughs> review. You completely glossed over the fact that what a dick move by Kirk. He's an admiral. He's no longer a captain. He'd been training Willard Deckard, played by Stephen Collins himself, for him to be the new captain of the Enterprise. Yeah. A guy who spent 18 months refitting the Enterprise with all new modern technology that Kirk needs him on board to explain. Like the fact that during the problem with the engines, they couldn't use phases because the engines stopped them from using phases because of how they work. They had to use photon torpedoes. And he's competing with a younger man that he stole his job. Like he, like, you're right. And Throughout an episode of the series or multiple episodes of the series, this tension between their his XO and Kirk would have been fascinating. But watching you just like Kirk's a dick. Absolutely. Deckard, yeah. Deckard is absolutely in his right mind to be like, no, no, no. This guy's an asshole. He stole my ship off me. And now he's forcing it into a situation it's not prepared for. Like, he's right on every single level. Yeah. And even McCoy's agreeing, going, uh, you're the one being a dick. I'm back in Deckard. Why <laughs> um, is the saving grace but, of this film, though? The cast, the original cast coming back, and those dynamics. All the ca- yeah, all the chemistry's that, there. That all is, the dynamics are still that's there. Still, that's still working. I didn't realise until doing prep for this that James Duhan who plays Montgomery Scott, he created the distinctive Klingon vocabulary heard in the film. It was then later fully realised by linguist Mark Ockrand, but it started with James Duhan. That's really impressive. I never knew that. Yeah, in fact, a lot of the uh, the voice work required for the original series was James Duhan as well. The voice really? of the Enterprise computer was James Dewan. Anytime they wow. had, like, a lot of the... He he was, like, their go-to guy. They didn't have any money, so they just... And James was talented. He's a, he's American. He's not Scottish. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> Scotty speaks with a Scottish accent because James Dewan, oh, if he's an engineer, he has to be Scottish. They're the best engineers. I mean, that's so right. That very <laughs> famous accent of his is a choice. It's not yeah. even his real voice. Yeah, like that's how that's how talented a uh, a vocalist James Doohan was, and yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, so yeah, it's one of those things of, of of Star Trek history that, like, until it wasn't until it, I think it was the motion pictures that they started using female voices for the computers, uh, which carried on into Next Generation and that sort of stuff. Right, but I think Major Barrett generally did the voices of the female computers. Yes. So that is like continuing and was, on. And she was the wife of Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. Yep. So and she's go. back in this 
as now Doctor Chapel. She's ah. uh, got her PhD from Nurse Chapel from the Nurse OG to series. Doctor. Oh, see that that's uh, good. There's a there's a progression there. You know, it's interesting. They clearly wanted the cast to seem or to appear to be more youthful than they actually would have been at the time of this movie. It's not until The Wrath of Khan they allowed the actors to look older. Yeah. Which was the right choice. So when we see them in this, the uniforms that appear, well, they're never seen again because we get those, what, red or burgundy was, you know, like the yeah, red. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the red the and naval the white, like uniforms. Yeah. Uh, which way better? Like these again, look very seventies. Um, they really like the V-necks. They look like see, disco yeah. outfits. <laughs> yeah, you can see some flared pants in there if you look hard enough. Um, the color scheme is incredibly seventies. The Kirk sitting on the bridge in like a polo shirt almost with his bare arms exposed oh, just does not sit right with me. It's weird. But you know what the, these uh, these uniforms do have, though? That's, they've got buckles, and they're intended to be a device that relays medical readings to Medical Bay. That's practical. Uh, but, yeah, the, the costumes in this just, they don't work. And and again, you didn't see them outside of this movie, but there is a new comic out at the moment because it's I think it's IDW that are publishing Star Trek comics at the moment, and yeah, they are good. They are good comics. There's a new ongoing, um, but there's also a new Star Trek the motion picture series, and it's titled Echoes. I've not started reading it yet, but it's this era of Star Trek, which they really haven't spent too much time in because I guess people just find this movie boring. So they've just <laughs> stayed, stayed away from it. But after all these years, they're finally going back. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it continues to be a bugbear for a lot of Star Trek fans. It, it I'm, I'm one of them. Why they keep changing the uniforms. And I, we know it's a production of thing of like, we want to set ourselves apart from the previous one. We have a new budget. We think we can update these. We think we can make them look better, more whatever direction they're going for the, the tone of whatever project they're working on. But for fans, it's like a, a, a gap in logic of like, why does, why do, when they're uniforms, why do different ships have different uniforms? They're all part of the same organization. Militaries don't change their uniforms this often. They change them once they've realized, oh, we have a better way of doing it, or the ones we have are no longer suitable. Like there's a very clear reason. This is this usually is over decades, not every six months, which seems to be the case. Uh, Star Trek, yeah, like they bring it up on lower decks again, bring up lower decks, but they bring it up all the time of like the inconsistencies in terms of uniforms. Uh, but it's also any star trek forum any time there's a new project out they've made small tweaks to whatever costumes the characters are wearing and the first thing people bring up like oh they've changed the costumes again i prefer the old ones ah these are like the old ones i I respect the tweaks or like "Ah, that this is disgusting this is set the same time as this show or this film 
They should use those versions. That was the standard, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, there's just so much going on here. Um, there is, but I've got no issues whatsoever with them leaving these uniforms behind. Oh, <laughs> none at all. Okay, and they lost, it looks less Star Trek because of it. Star Trek, even to this day, you have those primary color uniforms, red, gold, and blue. Yep. For different divisions. That's not here. You have white with brown and white with blue or gray, and you don't know what the distinctions are. They're, they're primary colors, and you're like, the, no, they're not primary colors. And you're like, so half of them are wearing one color, half of them wear the others. Do they mean anything? Do they mean anything at all? I don't know. It's it's just never, and that's a failure on costume design because you need, if people are wondering these questions, you've distracted from the thing. It should be immediately noticeable, which is why those from Wrath of Khan on, those red and white ones make sense because they all look the same. They've just got barring or something, some other thing on there that starts adding up like there's multiple as the ranks go up. Okay, I can make a quick figuring out that it and put it back on mine. Don't need to think yeah. about it anymore. I get yeah. it. It's a lot better what they did after this. Yeah. I don't want to keep bragging on the uh the aesthetics of the film. Uh there are a lot of good things. We've already mentioned the the returning cast. Um and Decker. Also Ilea played by Persis Kambada, uh a former Miss India uh model. Um who I think our reports remember correctly. She did not have a good time on this film set. Yeah. Well, apparently she knew that she would need to shave her head. And then and thought that she could convince them otherwise. <laughs> but then I think she kind of knew it was going to be happening. But then when the time came, she wasn't happy that she had to do it. And there was another actress that they were going to cast before her who didn't want to shave their head. So it's kind of integral to the casting that you would shave your head. And I mean, she did it. We've seen the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know how much it contributes to, to the role being bald, but I guess that's her species. And they, they've got a guy with pointy ears. They wanted another alien looking person. On the bridge, yeah. and they kind of figured a bald lady would look alien. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's Delton. They don't explain quite what their deal with other than the foul of celibacy. Um, she's visually striking. Uh, they give her a very short her uniform. is basically like a really very short bathrobe. <laughs> Uh, which I got to imagine is another thing. Like those sets are notoriously cold uh, and she's wearing basically nothing. Um, but it's her, her voice has an interesting quality that they didn't have, didn't share with any of the other cast members. Um, you know, there's a shared history, very, this is almost like a prototype of like Riker and uh, counselor Troy except she's a navigator, not a counselor. And right. Yeah. Uh, and they obviously did a much better job with those two. 
uh, for next gen. But there's that's just one of those like little things they they introduce here. Um, I do think she did a good job. She, I guess, also as an actress, it's not an entirely like interesting role. She has to be very monotone because she's supposed to be playing a drone for most of the time, like an alien, like robotic drone. It's it's on a big franchise. It's launching. It was a big deal at the time. Um, but yeah, I I wonder how long those days on sets were. Given she shaved her head, something that no one wants to do. But you know, even today, bald caps look like bald caps. They don't look like someone with a bald head. They look like someone wearing a bald cap. Um, and. There's a lot of standing around. She's not a major focus, not a very plain looking wardrobe. There's not a lot of meat on the bone for any actor. So I'm curious if that also contributed to her like displeasure on working on the movie. Um, but also, you know, we know for a fact that that original cast could be quite catty with each other and never mind about newcomers. Yeah, that's uh, the point. Yeah, so I'm 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 curious as uh what else was going on on set uh at the time. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I don't think we've actually gone over the plot of the film, but basically some some alien vessel moving towards Earth is unstops is vastly large, as I said, two AU units, so twice the distance of the suns to the the Earth in diameter with this cloud around it. That's the size of the cloud. No one can see what's going on inside. It's seemingly destroyed multiple things on its way. It's on a direct trajectory to Earth. Enterprise is the only ship in range. Uh, It's sent out there, even though it's not ready for, like, the field. And when they get there, they're having trouble communicating with the entity Vija, which turns out to be a living machine, which turns out to be the Voyager 6 probe, and it's looking for its creator because it doesn't have its finished its mission and can't see anything else. Is this all there is to the universe? Um, it gets very high concept sci-fi from there which is another thing I think rubs people the wrong way. There's no, like, we brought it up again, we bring it up again, but Wrath of Khan was, had action. It had, like, like stakes that people could just, like, like, see, like, oh, yeah, one ship versus another. Like, this is, this is personal. This is revenge. It's like me versus you. You've got a ship. I've got a ship. All the stakes are very clear. This is just, very slow and too high concept to really like they don't shoot anything at the end it just resolves like a normal episode of star trek would of like it's evolved to a higher form of life i'm like i don't know how many episodes of star trek i've seen that ends that way but if you've just sat through like a two and a half hour movie that hasn't had any action that's going to be pretty uh pretty poor way to fit to walk out you know like just on that. sleep <laughs> you know, talking about not being much action again on the back of Star Wars. So they put out this Star Trek film, 1979. 
It was rated G. Mm. Here in Australia, in the UK, it was a U, which is the same, universal, suitable for all audiences. The other films were rated PG, later PG in the US, PG-13, sorry, so maybe around about an M here in Australia for some of the later ones. This version, though, the director's edition, it's a PG. So this one is actually rated a PG, but you're right, not much action. There's no reason why it wouldn't be anything more than a G, again, until this this version. It's just, again, like it just I can't get over the fact that Star Wars happened and they're like, let's do our version. Let's put Star Trek on the big screen and they release a G-rated movie where yeah. not a lot of too much happens. It's good seeing the original cast back. Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, that score is fantastic. It is the score that they use for the next generation, and that is closely associated with, with Star Trek. But and that great shot of the Enterprise when you first see it, that really long shot. So they're the things that I remember about this film. And, you know, the, with this director's edition, the, there's things that they have changed, you know, whether it's the audio quality, video quality. With the video, well, they have added brand new CG scenes. Like, see, it's not just sharpening what they already had. And with the audio, like, it's it's not just a new mix. Like, there is brand new sounds that they have added. And we didn't mention, I don't think we have actually mentioned the director, uh, Robert Wise. So he's yeah. the guy that was working on it back then. It wasn't until, like, this edition, again, 2022, Paramount Plus, but the director's edition was first made, released, I think DVD, Blu-ray would have been 2001. So that would have been DVD, wouldn't it? Not Blu-ray. Yeah. It's too early. So 2001, that's when they put it together. So they'd spent quite a bit of money on it back then, you know, again, creating new CGI shots, inserting footage that shot previously but not used, new audio, but the film's still the film. Like, it's... Yeah, you can't said in the opening. All the pacing is just there, which they couldn't do anything about. Um, And, you know, 1979, we're talking like between Star Wars and this. You also had Superman, the motion picture with Christopher Reeve. You had a lot of other movies that, like, we knew what a blockbuster was. The blockbuster era had started. Uh, And this isn't even. Thought, yeah, and even thought-provoking sci-fi would had close encounters by a third of the third kind by now. Yeah, so it's even its own contemporaries were doing more with the concept than they really did with this, um, which is weird because this was of all of the things that was coming out, this was the the most known, most beloved. This is the one that had would should have had the most eyeballs and the most attention given, and I know for a fact that Gene Roddenberry was a bit of a nightmare on the set of this, uh, and continued all the way up until like the next generation and his passing of like wanting things his way. Because I think from I think we've discussed this in the past right, right up before this, they were like he wanted them to make God 
like that was an actual like legitimate idea he had of like the Starship Enterprise meets an entity like God. And you're like, wait, what? Uh, what are, what are we doing? What what what's where does this come? Where where's your idea there? Like where's your you know every single story is based around conflict of some kind. Where's Ten years later there? though. Ten years later they did get there. Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. Yeah, and that's not fondly remembered either. <laughs> Your like... interesting connection to this. So, talking about Jerry Goldsmith and the score, well, it was used for because Roddenberry he really liked, loved the main theme of the motion picture. That in '87 it was reused for the Next Generation. And then it was also reused in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, but they didn't use it in the second, third, and fourth films. Yeah, which, you know what? I love this theme. You love this theme. Oh, it's the best. This it, is... For me, it's the best, yeah. Yeah, like there's a lot of great Star Trek themes, but I'd be hard-pressed to find one I like more than this. And if you're talking um, DS9 Voyager, also Jerry Goldsmith, but we've got... Yeah. Alexander Courage to thank for the original Star Trek theme. And we get that again in Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we've kind of beat the crap out of this movie. We should probably get around the rankings. Uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you go first. Oh, wow. <laughs> you normally go first. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I can't remember us reviewing anything else and just saying the word boring. I don't think that's really <laughs> come up before, but this film is boring. I found it boring as a kid. I do like it more now as an adult. And again, like this new version, it is, it is a better film. It looks better, sounds better. But the story is still the story. It's that amazing shot of the Enterprise, Jerry Goldsmith. There is highlights, but I'm not going to watch this film again for a very, very long time. I do (laughs) like the original series films. Wrath of Khan onwards. I'm glad that we've gone back and rewatched it and done it for the podcast, but ah, it, it's a, I'm going to come in at a two out of five. I mean, ordinarily, like there is things to recommend about it. And if you've not seen this version, I would recommend it. And I normally say on the podcast, a three is a recommend, but I'm not quite there. If you're yeah. interested, check it out. But it's still that that film that they first put out. So I'm going to come in at a two out of five. What about yourself? The same, two out of five. I think you could cut together a version of this in like 15 minutes and get everything across. I think it's so slow and bloated. It's not even bloated. There's nothing there to bloat yeah. it with. It's just <laughs> like... You get them to launch the Enterprise and you get all the interpersonal stuff. They get there, they go through, Spock does his mind meld, does his bloody blah, blah, blah. And then you they go down and you have your resolution and then boom, 
like you could get this done in 15 minutes and now I'm being generous. Like it's just so dull, uh, which is a shame because it looks fantastic, sounds fantastic. And the crew's the crew. But yeah, like yourself, for me, I won't watch this for a very long time. The movie start at number two and we move from there. <laughs> We've done it now. Well, that's it for our episode all about Star Trek, the motion picture, the director's cut. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon.